0: Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com.
1: A tremendous Friday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Colin Donovan is in the house. If you've got a theology question for our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, give us a call. The number is 833-288-EWTN. Mr. Matt Gubenski will pick that phone up and get you all set to be on the program. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 271 2985 And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 271 2985 and if you would like to send us an email we'd be happy to receive that the email address is open line at ewtn.com i'm jack williams michael mccall producing the program the aforementioned matt gubensky screening your phone calls and jeff burson handling our social media efforts so if you're watching on youtube or facebook live you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program And our host, as we have said, is Colin Donovan. How are you? Doing pretty good. Do you have a microphone? Uh,
2: If I did, that would help.
1: Now, I I realize you just got started doing the radio program here, Colin, but... uh, (laughs) <laughs> the first 20 years are the hardest so you're, uh, al- I'm, you're I'm, almost I'm, over the I'm, threshold I'm there
2: and we do have an anniversary coming <laughs> up in that respect this year as i recall
1: uh i, I don't know when when did you start doing know. it it's got to be it's well certainly more well, than I, 10 years ago i did some live
2: wire before uh, there was uh, the amfm yeah. and, uh, so uh, AM, yeah. and uh so i was with the first year it's was a short it? wave yeah so 2003 i believe um open line
1: i'm not sure Yeah, I'd have to look it up. It's been a long time ago. It it has been a while. I know when John when John Martinoni stepped away from he he still fills in. But when he stepped away from the every Monday, Mm -hmm. I I remember it being shocking how long he had been doing it because he was one of the original.
2: Right. He was in our in our original group. And I actually swapped days with him. I started on Mondays and he started on Fridays, but he was doing some traveling with his Bible Christian Society. Mm -hmm. And so I swapped with him and I've been here ever since.
1: So, here's a nice topic. I told you at the beginning of the program, I was listening to uh, a little Bible study that was being offered by uh, our uh, some Baptist folks, mm-hmm. and they were covering the twelfth chapter of Revelation. And um, they went to great lengths before they actually launched into uh, their view mm-hmm. of the imagery. You know, they made, you know a big point of the first six verses. Uh, you know, before it describes the woman, it makes it a point of saying this is a sign, and before it describes the dragon, it makes another point of saying this is a sign. And, uh, and they, uh, they basically preface the entire discussion by saying that the woman, uh, erroneously defined by many people as the Virgin Mary,
2: by clear, by cl- meaning people clearly, meaning we Catholics yeah, well, and the yeah, orthodox and, I, I just, and yeah. others of like mind. <laughs>
1: yeah, clear, clearly. You know, clearly directed in a, in a particular direction. Yeah. Um, and um and, and 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 erroneously thought by right. others to be the church, right? But that it clearly the both of those arguments fall apart and I had to come and do the radio show so I haven't actually heard The explanation for how it falls apart i'm I'm very curious to hear hear that whole deal um but um you know it's it's really um and and even went back to to genesis to kind of cross-reference things and and, uh you know with the thought that it strengthened the position when it actually you know solidifies the millennia yeah. held position that it is indeed the the virgin
2: marriage. Well, more like two millennial held position. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I I think there the, there is the emphasis on the on on a literal meaning, but there is a stepping away from the literal there because I think you pointed out the pro- progression. We are given certain symbols. The symbols are of the devil. The symbols are of the woman first mentioned in Genesis. The symbols are of Christ. And then the children of God, the children who come out, you know. So, so who is it? And the argument can obviously be made uh, for the church. But let's start with the principal cases. If the sign is primarily of the protagonists, the devil and Christ, who is the woman protagonist? The, Israel only gave birth to Christ in the sense that he came from the people because God had prepared the way for the Messiah for the people of Israel.
1: But this woman did have 12 stars on her head, Colin.
2: Well, there's uh there's an explanation for that as well. So you have you you have who are the principles? You can get from the sign of Revelation 12 to a true understanding thinking that if this is Christ, then it is his mother because that would be the literal Appreciation of the sign. If this is the di devil, it might, in some historical context, refer to an agent of the enemy. But it refers primarily to the enemy himself, the same protagonist of the Book of Genesis, which you said they went back to to try to explain. And well, who do you have there? The woman and the the woman, and the seed of the woman. Now, that gives us pretty much all we know, because. The woman not only has this son, who is the redeemer, who is the the Christ, but she also then becomes the mother of the children by grace of God the Father, as she is the mother of God the Father's son. And we we are the children. We are the whim the children that the devil pursues. So if you if you think about. Well, what type is scripture giving in the Old Testament that refers to the new? So we have throughout the Old Testament all kinds of types that foreshadow the, the coming of Christ and, and the and the covenant uh, in his blood. The second, uh, the, the covenant, the Christian covenant. So we have all kinds of those types. And in that, they're usually referring to principal elements of this new covenant. They're referring to the woman from whom Christ received his nature. She's referring to the Redeemer. It's referring to a way in which the, the people of God, whether united by blood or united by grace, interrelate with each other, and so we have the Apostles and the Apostolic College. We have the way given to us by Christ himself, the Last Supper, by which we unite our worship of the Father with his own in, in the Eucharist. And then the other, the other sacraments, which are clearly given to us for the purposes which are announced in the Scriptures, and that is baptism for the regeneration from sin and anointing for the, uh, uh, for the sick and uh, orders we have the laying on of hands of the word so you have all of the elements of the new covenant foreshadows in the old in the old covenant so israel in that sense has the role as from the people from the, the people from whom the mother of the redeemer and the redeemer himself come But the objective is Christ, and everything ultimately must relate to Christ, or we have not had the final revelation. But we're told in Scripture that this is it, that Christ, that's all the prophets spoke of. This is completed in Christ. So that revelation is Christ. And so we look at the old in view of what the new provides, not in view of some future fantasy of you know, the role of Israel or, or or some other thing. That would require a new, clear res- revelation. That's not present in the scriptures. So I, I think from the point of view of interpreting the 12, you'd have to say, what would be the natural conclusion? Very early in the church, the successors of the apostles, the bishops, the priests, the presbyters who preached, saw in genesis uh genesis 3 as well as in especially genesis three fifteen, as well as in the historical regarding the birth of christ and the redemption as well as in what the gospel writers wrote down about those events they saw our lady spoken of as sharing in a particular way in the ministry of christ as the the one through whom christ received his human nature in the same way that He received his divine nature from the father through the processions in the holy trinity so those analogies hold up when you understand it as the church does and they have been taught that way and understood that way for uh you know for probably i think the earliest mentions of this you would probably find in Irenaeus and others in the second century Uh, But that means 1,800 years it's been taught this way. And what a lot of non-Catholics don't understand is the Reformers held most of those positions, and so their descendants, their children, no longer actually hold them.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan.
0: Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You
1: know, Prudence Robertson keeps you informed and educated with the latest news and truth on abortion, euthanasia, assisted suicide, and the entire culture of death on EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. And we can even send EWTN's Pro-Life Weekly directly to your email inbox every week. Simply visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of, couple of open phone lines for you in time for your calls today at 833-288-3986. John is in Long Island, New York, listening on the EWTN app. John, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, my uh, question is my my
2: my wife and I have been married five years, but not in mm-hmm. church. Uh, she, was ba- she was baptized Methodist. Um, But grew up largely in the Catholic Church uh,
0: through through her grandmother was Catholic, so she would like to, uh, you know, officially become
1: Catholic. And I just wanted to know um, what steps she would have to take in order to to do
2: that. Uh, You're Catholic, is it sounds like the way you're putting the question.
1: I am, yes, yeah.
2: Uh, Well, I I think She'll,
1: she'll need a signed letter from John Wesley. (laughs) <laughs> really no well no
2: i don't i don't think so jack we'll uh, we'll talk after the show i think to straighten out some of your uh some of your thinking here i
1: am living proof that a methodist can become catholic
2: oh there you go no it's it it's it's really quite simple um this is well we're sort of getting into the summertime now but uh your local parish no doubt will have an rcia program um If she is a baptized Methodist and they validly baptize, unless there was something out of order in in the practice of a particular minister, uh, she would only be confirmed and receive the Eucharist, typically at the Easter Vigil, which now would be next year, Uh, and so her catechesis would be done in the course of the RCIA as well as the various liturgical stages of entering the church. And, and it would be and it would be a quite a normal thing in you know literally here in the diocese I don't know how many came in this year, but most big dioceses can have hundreds mm-hmm. of, of people going through the very same process and some will be un, not unbaptized and some will be baptized but not confirmed and uh, because they're coming from traditions that don't have confirmation or that, don't have valid bishops because the church uh, they abandon uh, sacred orders so it would be a very um, uh, a very easy thing uh, one thing you should note is since you are both baptized your marriage is sacramental so there's no change in the status of that it just takes two baptized people uh, man and woman obviously to you know fulfill what saint paul spoke about in ephesians 5 that you know those who two people who believe in christ and have been and possess christ through baptism can represent christ in the church and that's what the sacrament of baptism does and gives the graces of the sacrament. so uh, i would think in your prayer life to together to take that into consideration to you know ask that god give you the graces uh, deeply give you the graces of your vocation and to uh, lead you, the two of you, where he desires you to go, to a more deeper, deep unity in in the Church. Um, and I think uh, it'll be a beautiful occasion.
1: How's that, John? Thank you very much, yes, thank you. You're very welcome. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Bob is in Gaithersburg, Maryland, listening on the Amazon Echo. Bob, you're on with Colin Donovan.
2: Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, I'm I'm 86 years old. Mm -hmm. My grandparents came from Lebanon. Sure. They were 100% Maronite Catholics. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad always said that they were Maronite Catholics. Two different priests told me I'm a Maronite Catholic. Mm-hmm. Now, they we lived in a community that did not have a Maronite Catholic Church. Sure. So I always went to Roman Catholic Church my whole mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Now, I'm still Maronite Catholic, and the big question is, I was telling my daughters, they come over on Sundays, mm-hmm. and the one I asked me, Dad, are we Maronite Catholics? Well, the logic works for you, but not for them. Were they baptized by a priest of the Roman Rite or a Maronite Ro- Catholic? Roman Roman, Rite. Then they are of the Roman Rite. Uh, so it's by your baptism that the Church looks at that. So uh, the Maronite Church is a beautiful and a wonderful Church, and many people may not know this, but the Maronite Church is the only Eastern Church that has never been out of communion with the Sea of Rome. Uh, we have within the church, we have Byzantines who came back to the church or uh, Copts in Egypt who came back in unity with the church. So you have Coptic Catholics. The Maronites have been in continuous uh, communion uh, with, with the Roman pontiff. But they are their separate rite with their own liturgical and other traditions. And uh, so therefore, that when you're baptized into a Catholic rite, Roman or one of the 20 other ones, then you belong to that right. So baptism is the key thing. Now if she were to marry a Maronite or a person of another right, for example, then you have the possibility of of going, you know of changing right and her own children being raised in that. Uh, so she would be different from from you and your your siblings in that respect that. Uh, whatever she was baptized into into as a rite, uh, she is a member of that. And that affects decisions regarding the sacraments and so on, unless there is an occasion to transfer or change rites. And that typically comes through marrying a person of a different Catholic rite uh, and then beginning to live and practice that. Uh, And so that's how that would normally come about.
1: Thank you, Bob. We appreciate that question today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Pick up the phone and give us a call. Kyle is a first-time caller in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, listening today uh, on Sirius XM Channel 130. Kyle, you're on with Colin Donovan.
2: Hi, how are you? Uh, Pretty good. Uh, What's your question today, Kyle? I have a friend of mine who says she left the church because she was tired of being told that she can't have a career, that she's supposed to be a stay-at-home mom, and that she, um, her purpose as a woman is to get
0: married and have children. And I was wondering, what's the response to something like that? I didn't know what to say.
2: Well, I, I think that's a very clipped way of looking at the at the question. Um Womanhood is certainly satisfied and fulfilled, as Pope John Paul II taught in his Theology of the Body, as it's generally known, certainly by having the full flowering of femininity through motherhood. Likewise, masculinity, the full flowering of masculinity through fatherhood. And so this is, in fact, the purpose of, uh, of human sexuality, uh just as eating is for our nutrition although pleasure accompanies it so i think she has a very clipped view and is misreading and misunderstanding what the church says a lot of women are catholics they have children and many of them have careers others choose to stay home if they care to and so that's that's certainly you know an option that is for for her that's a discernment that she should make in prayer before the Lord, whether to, you know, have a vocation in the world. But frankly, the, the, it, it certainly is what the church's view is, that young, young people of reproductive age who marry and completely eschew the idea of having children of, are happy to enjoy the pleasures of the act, but not the consequences and the responsibility of the act. Their marriage is not valid if that was the, their intention at the point. Because why not just be great friends? You know, you could argue, although I would not argue for this position. Shacking up, for that matter. Getting married has a purpose. Having children is associated with it, although it's not incompatible with having uh, a life outside of of. Uh, the care and of children we certainly learned and i think a lot of women discovered during covid the great blessing of being home with the children what that is uh and the great benefits for the socialization of the children too to have their mother so there's there's great arguments in favor of making that one's primary vocation but it doesn't exclude having a career and and things like that when when properly done in a way uh that um that doesn't set aside the obligations of marriage and motherhood simply for the sake of the, the glory of the world and the financial uh, uh, benefits that come from it. But I would, I would recommend that you could direct her on this matter to womenofgrace.com. This is uh, Jeanette uh, Williams, uh, website. She has a program uh, on on EWTN, both on radio and TV, which you might direct her to as well. And so Women of Grace can has deals with this issue and does it woman to woman. And that's an, that important peer dimension uh, can probably explain it better than, than, than I can.
1: She'll certainly get a more balanced presentation than what exactly she's how how to this point
2: yeah, yeah exactly so uh, i think that's a very clipped view to reduce it to the church asking her to be an incubator
1: yeah. god bless you kyle we appreciate the phone call 833-288-ewtn that's our toll-free number it's a free phone call anywhere in north america 833-288-3986 if you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1205 <clears> 271 And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1205 271 2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. That's openline, all one word at ewtn.com. And you can also leave a question for us on our listener comment line if you call the studio number after 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, that number is 833 288 EWTN 833 288. After 4 p.m. Eastern, you'll receive a very pleasant recorded greeting, and they'll ask you to leave a uh, message with your name and where you're calling from, and we would be happy to entertain your question that way. But right now, we've got a couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line, Friday with Colin Donovan.
0: This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-3986. Anne is a first-time caller in the great state of New Mexico, listening on St. Valentine Radio. And you are on with Colin Donovan.
2: Good to talk to you. And did you as well. What's your question, dear?
0: Well, there's something that's been uh, puzzling me for many years, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it's about Cain and Abel. When Cain
2: was sent out of Eden, you know, for killing Abel, it was the Bible said he took a wife. Where did she come from? <laughs> well, sure, yeah, and and there's a couple ways of looking at that. Uh, I think when you look when you look at it historically, what uh, individuals like Thomas Aquinas and others, as, as scholastic theologians, would always argue, and that is from the children of Adam and Eve. So what that simply means is Scripture is not telling us from uh, the all the people who were alive in a particular generation any more than we know, well know that. The, the account of the kings is not necessarily in every list identical to, to uh, you know, the kings of Israel. If you have a historian sit down and, you know, put down all the names, sometimes lists are there are representative. And so we don't know all the names of the, the descendants of Adam and Eve because what we're given in Scripture is primarily those in some way in relationship to salvation history. So it's not a bio, biology story or a cosmology story so much as it is a salvation story. So the explanation in the past has always been that it was from the descendants of Cain and uh, from the descendants of Adam and Eve and therefore it was a effectively a brother-sister marriage. Um, what is sometimes said of that is although we know today in legally in all countries that's forbidden uh we know that because today with great detail but that the genetic consequences of that is uh produces children with deformities and things like that what they said in the middle ages was that the law against incest had not yet been promulgated by god and you could argue that, well, in the earlier generations, the genetic the, the bodies were more pristine, and therefore that wouldn't have happened, or God could have preserved. That would be the explanation up until more recent centuries, and especially our last century, the 20th, when now the whole question of evolution has come into it. And so the church must tackle that and how that fits into the, the economy of salvation and the history of salvation. Uh, Just as the Israelites were not the only people who existed in human history, uh, even though the Bible speaks copiously about them, we can assume that there may be other uh, other human beings also at the time of Adam and Eve. The Church doesn't assert that, but scientists often say those kinds of things. So the Church's job is to reconcile the truth that science might discover and the history of man with the purposes which God has and those conveyed through Scripture. And so the church has over the centuries given different explanations to or in la- recent times at least, with Pius the Twelfth in Homani Generis on the Origins of Man and John Paul II in speaking about evolution, makes it clear that we separate as Catholics unlike many Protestant churches who have a very literalist uh, interpretation of these uh, matters, we separate as Catholics what science would say from what, the, from what the church teaches. Because in this way, in the end, all truth is come by God. Either it's coming through created realities which carry out history and events in all areas according to the laws of nature which God gave it, or it's coming through divine revelation, which speaks especially of human salvation and the history of of mankind as it relates to the coming of the Redeemer, as it relates to the patriarchs, Israel, and the coming of the Redeemer. So the answer to that question is an open one for Catholics. We don't have to insist on any particular answer. And some say and argue that, that God that the human form, Pius Twelfth actually said this, that whatever one should might find out about the origins of the human form, in other words, the bodily nature of man, that can't be applied to the soul of man as if the human soul can arise from matter, but that God chose to infuse the human soul into a body, and thus man, properly speaking, body and soul, began in history so that may be a way in the future by which the church try to resolve this complex question but there's been the historical way that has been dealt with and then there's the way today we're recognizing that science is its own discipline that looks for the truth in a different methodology than theology or philosophy but ultimately all three of those science philosophy and theology must be in agreement and ultimately, when it comes to church teaching and theology, uh, the decisions of the church on what constitutes, uh, you know, an element of of our human history that is significant for salvation rests with the church. And the church has simply not defined in any way uh, that question, even though theologians in the past and today uh, have tra- treated it and. Quite differently, more recent de- decades and centuries century than than in previous ones.
1: God bless you, and we appreciate that phone call today. Still some open lines for you at 833 288 EWTN. That's 833 288 3986. Martin in Michigan, Colin, was listening on Sirius XM and he couldn't hold on, but he wants you to explain uh, today's gospel, and I'll read it to you from the 12th chapter mm-hmm. of Mark. And Jesus was teaching in the temple area, he said, How do the scribes claim that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I place your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? The great crowd took delight in this.
2: There are two elements, I think, in that story. One is we know... From the scriptures as well that Christ is a descendant of David. But his human descent, as important as it is, because he came man, became man precisely for our salvation, is not as important as a divine sonship, which gives all the rationale to the value of everything he did as a human in a human body and to his human acts. So because he was God man. They have consequence in history. They have consequence for our salvation. So what he is affirming there is that although we could trace, as Scripture does, his descent to David, humanly speaking, of whom is that passage in Scripture speaking? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So David is calling his descendant Christ, the Redeemer, his Lord. And, of course, the Lord there is God. We even have a hint that there is God says to God. What does that tell us? Not yet revealed in that passage or in that uh, under the Old Covenant that there were three persons in one divine nature, but we may have a glimpse into it there. So we have David essentially affirming what we know about the God-man, Jesus Christ, and that is that he is greater than David himself, although we know that humanly and historically he is a descendant of David.
1: 833 ewtn Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-3986. Next up is Carolyn in St. Louis, Missouri, listening on Covenant Radio. Carolyn, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program.
0: Thank you. Uh, Colin, I really appreciate your program. But I am wondering if uh, currently there are any official Catholic dictionaries on the market?
2: There probably isn't such thing as an official dictionary uh, in any real sense in the back of the adult catechism of the united states which the bishops put out in which they took the universal catechism or the catechism of the catholic church as it's uh, generally known and they produce an adult catechism with you know a lot less text and and more targeted uh in it there is what you might call there is a, a dictionary and there's a good deal of information there in there I think classically, most of the people of my generation usually think of Father Hardin's dictionary, and there is an abridged version of that sold by EWTN Religious Catalog. Uh, so that's what comes to mind. There may be other authors who have compiled dictionaries out there. I'm personally not familiar with them, so I can't, uh, you know, I, I, I can't really s- to speak to what others there are if i were doing it if i were looking something word up and i didn't know it obviously given my training even uh, i would be looking to father harden he's always a well worth resource having on your shelf for any catholic Uh, or i would look in the back of the adult catechism for the united states Uh, so those would be two good sources i'm sure that you know, of the very solid Catholic publishing companies out there, there are probably other versions at OSV and other places. I just can't tell you their names.
1: Well, and there's also a new version of the original Catholic Dictionary if it's available online that's simply called the New Catholic Dictionary, and it's really kind of more of an encyclopedic type of a treatment mm-hmm. of theological terms but it is out there available. right
2: online. yeah and an easy good uh, an easy resource as well is the new advent website yeah, newadvent.org right. because they have they have the summa on there they have uh, they have you can select by the letter of the alphabet and, and get explanations of historical uh, personages in the life of the church as well as topics and so on so uh, good good online resources today and that's uh, certainly one of the blessings of the Internet
1: God bless you, Carolyn. Thanks so much for the call today. We've still got time for your calls. Pick up the phone and give us a jingle at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Pam in North Carolina writes in, Has the church declared that changing one's gender is a sin, and if not, is it planning to?
2: What the, it, well, it has. I mean, effectively it has. Uh, it flows from an ideology which the uh, the current Pope, Pope Francis, calls demonic. And why would you think that? Uh, I gave a bit of an explanation earlier on marriage and, and Adam and Eve as in both in Adam and Eve, but also talking about uh, uh, the Protestant view of the role of the Virgin Mary. Uh Human nature is divided by God's intention into male and female. That's in Scripture. Uh, presumably all Christians uh, accept that, but apparently many do not today. So there you have the division. And in that division, there is the purposes, which I spoke about as well at the at the top of the hour. And that is the, the purposes of the, uh, you know, if we eat in order to preserve our own uh, life, Human beings use the faculty of marriage to preserve the life of human species, of the human nature. Uh, That is why eating and that other thing is such a big uh, instinct in human beings. It's central to the perpetuation of humanity that individuals eat and that people have children. A lot of countries today are recognizing uh and the pope has spoken a good deal on this recently as well the the implosion of population that is going on in many of the western countries as the cultures have accepted abortion well let's say they accepted contraception first then they accept abortion for failed contraception then when you play sex at the middle of your whole universe then whatever makes you happy in sex which is gender ideology how you feel and how you becomes then the the most glorious thing ever and this is how we got this way and paul the in Humanae vitae predicted it it's the degeneration of man's understanding of his own human nature and that's why it is been described as demonic it's an attack on the nature god gave us so that that's the teaching of the church, and there are not a bishop conference, much less the pope, who disagrees with that. Uh, that's how we understand it. Uh, at what is taking place? It's a real battle in the world over human nature. So the important gender is important. Now, as regards to the other aspects of it, let let's let's look at them. Human nature goes awry. It goes awry not because of God's design, but because of the fall. It goes awry because over the millennia, human nature has acquired defects in it, which then are passed on to children and which ultimately manifest in uh, different biological as well as psychological behaviors in individuals. This can be no fault of the individual concerned. It can be an inherited or a socialized factor for which they have no uh, control. And the church recognized that in a certain segment of the population uh, who are born with what's called um, disorders of sexual development, in other words, a biological and a genetic and a biophysical disorder that that may affect their body, it may affect their biochemistry, the way they believe, their way, their emotions, and so on. And the church allows justifiable medical procedures for the remedy of that, but not simply for thinking, well, I want to be, you know, the opposite sex, or I want to be neutral sex, or I want to be this, that, or the other thing. We're progressing beyond that today, there are people who think that they are other species. Uh, there are people who think that there are other a- a- there are aliens and they dress accordingly. Because once you throw aside the solidity of human nature as your guidepost on reality, what restraint is on on the imagination? You know, if play acting in a role as a you know, an alien or a cat or something makes you happy, then you think, well, I can go for it. That's my reality, as if my reality is distinct from the reality of human nature of the other almost 8 billion people on the planet. And this is where we are in terms of the complete atomization of, of humanity into me, myself, and I, and no other consideration matters. The first consideration is that we are alive in the dignity of human life from conception to natural death. We've thrown that one over. The second consideration is that I am a man or a woman. We've thrown that over. We're simply not living a real life anymore, uh, or many of us anyway. So the Church is very much against that, and as the Pope has said many times uh, during his pontificate, there is one individual behind it. And that individual is attacking human nature, essentially, in individuals, because he failed to be fully successful in attacking us at the source, as described in the book of Genesis.
1: Be sure to join Father Thomas Loya for Light of the East, Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Ah, yes, those hazy, lazy days of summer, but not so fast with the ribs. The burgers and the brats on the grill. We've got some preparing to do for a whole lot of special feast days and events this summer that will be good for your body and your soul. Uh, Join Father Thomas. Light of the East Radio, Sunday morning, 1130 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Give us a call at 833-288-3986. Celine is watching us on Facebook Live, and she says, What difference does it make? A Christian is a Christian. Why do Catholics think they are the only religion that is right? If you believe in God and you practice Christianity, there are good people in all religions. Do you think only Catholics will go to heaven?
2: No, that's not exactly what we think. We think that... Christ established a plan for our salvation he he lived the single and unique and indispensable element of it the rest was left to his church and that's why he left a the church there is no disputing that he left a church and he left authority in the church uh there's no disputing that in in the sacred scripture and so It's not that the church is saying that somebody outside of the church who is baptized, for example, let's take that case, um, can't be saved. Because if they maintain that grace of the baptism, which unites them to the Holy Trinity, which inserts them into the mystery of Christ, his passion, death, and resurrection, if they retain that inviolable to their death, they will go to heaven. But what are the sacraments then are ordered? What do they accomplish then for that person if they are available to them when they fall into deep sin, when they break their relationship with God and they can't get back? Christ gave us the different sacraments for different purposes. Confirmation to strengthen uh, that bond with the, whole, the Holy Spirit, especially through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Eucharist, In order to give us the bread of life, Christ himself, that just like in daily life, uh, we need food for sustenance. We have our daily bread, which he spoke of in the Our Father, to give us our spiritual sustenance that we can remain in him to the end of our life. He gave us the sacrament of penance on Easter night when he said to the apostles, whose sins you shall forgive they shall be forgiven whose sins you shall retain in other words when we bring to the church our grave sins which separate us from god by by in in some way on a great matter we refuse god's will and take only our own the church has a remedy for that if we're sick and dying and we need strengthening the church has a remedy for that in anointing if we, wish, uh, if we wish to serve God in the, as, a, as a priest, then the church has a, a means for that in holy orders by which you can become a dispenser of the sacraments. If you wish to serve God in marriage, then your marriage through baptism of two or through marriage of two baptized people is a sacrament. All of these things come down through the church. So it's not that a baptized non-Catholic can't be saved. But it's like walking on, you know, I can get from here to there, walking over over glass, jumping chasms of fire. I can get there. But wouldn't I rather have it easier? Wouldn't I rather have the sacraments which nourish and heal and forgive? And that's what the church has. That and the truth in which Christ promised to lead it to. And so... Uh, The development of doctrine in the church has led to an ever greater and deeper understanding of the deposit of the faith, whereas in many other denominations, uh, it's led to a splintering of of faith uh, into particular views of this group or that group or this other group, Uh, and that can't have been the will of Christ. So uh, I guess I offer that as an invitation for all of those listening to come home the church that christ instituted and receive the full benefits of the baptism that you received whether as an infant in some or uh as an adult or an older child in others who don't practice infant baptism
1: uh jeff writes in can a priest who is permanently mute still administer the sacraments
2: well that's a good question um you know stump the theologian yes i think so we rename this show maybe. (laughs) um i think i'm going to defer on that one i i see the difficulty in it because the sacraments have to be i mean there's words and there's but i'm sure we have a church has a pastoral practice but frankly i am indeed stumped on that particular one
1: jim wants to know if the early church prayed to the saints and the virgin mary
2: There is, in the catacombs uh, in Rome, from uh, the second century, an invocation of Our Lady in prayer. So I think the answer to that is definitely a yes.
1: And finally, Alan wants to know, if the fire in purgatory is symbolic, could that mean that the fire in hell is also symbolic?
2: Well, of what? If the fire is symbolic, it doesn't mean the punishment is necessarily symbolic. And this is the way Aquinas and others have understood it, although mostly they hold the position that he's speaking of a real fire that God makes able to touch the soul of the damned, or in the case of purgatory, to touch uh, the soul of the be- person being purified. Others say it's, it's uh, the love of God itself which in those who resist completely is abhorrent and in those who seek god it is purifying so I, I think there is some openness on that in terms of what the actual solution is but the the traditional one is that it is made real fire is made to touch the uh, the soul of the damned and those in purgatory as well
1: Want to thank all of you for another great week of EWTN's Open Line. Back at it next week on Monday with Father John Trigilio, Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes talking faith, family, and fellowship. Father Mitch is in the house on Wednesday. Father Brian Milady on Thursday, and Colin will be back with us next Friday on Open Line. On behalf of our host, Colin Donovan, our producer Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media Maven Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Have a terrific weekend and God bless.